glad you're with us today, whether you're in the room here. Thank you for being here, as well as those that are joining us online or over at our Westside campus. As normal, if you have a program and you're here, inside there's a little insert you can fill in the blanks. If you like to do that electronically, and even at home, if you have on the Version app, you can click on events, find ACC, and follow along that way. Well, since it is the season when TV commercials can be such a big deal, uh, does anyone remember those old Geico commercials that touted it's so simple even a, a caveman could do it? I don't know why they felt like they needed to pick on cavemen the way they did. Uh, but I would just say today in our encounter series, we're going to observe something that was so evident, uh, even a blind man could see it. As we discover someone who was blind uh, and yet was very, very insightful. We're in the process of focusing on the four accounts of the life of Jesus. And we're examining three different accounts and encounters from each one. And there's certainly many more encounters, and we'd like you to know and hear about them. So I hope you're participating in our encounter challenge, which is to read the four different accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right at the beginning of the New Testament, uh, through the 12 weeks of this series that will end right before Easter, the end of March. Well, today, as we arrive at encounter number six, which is already halfway through our series, uh, it's also the third encounter uh, from the book of Mark. And I believe that it's probably universally true that we often don't really appreciate what we have until we lose it. And that would definitely apply to one of our most important senses, which is our ability to see our sight. And humans, of course, have five physical senses, uh, sight and hearing and touch and taste and smell. But by far, the most significant one of those senses uh, has to be our sight. And that's because roughly 90% of an estimated 34 gigabytes of data that our brain receives every day, and that's why, as old as I am, my hard drive's getting a little bit full, and so it's kind of hard to access sometimes. But 90% of that data is visual. It's coming in through our eyes. And in a recent study, scientists sampled about 250,000 men and women uh, from the ages of 22 to 80, and they asked them to, to their hierarchy of uh, the senses by their importance. And of course, sight was the one that topped everyone's list. And what people say they would miss the most if they lost their vision included the faces of their loved ones, uh, being able to see their children's milestones in life as well as their own, the beauty of nature, sunrises and sunsets, colors. They would miss books. They would miss television shows and movies, and even food showed up on the list, which of course tastes good, but I can say it also sometimes can actually look delicious. Well, what we're going to discover in our Christ encounter today is that blindness uh, was not able to keep one person from really seeing Jesus for who he was. And when we encounter Jesus in Mark chapter 10, He's actually on his way to Jerusalem, and when he arrives there, uh, even though he's going to be welcomed by a joyful procession that we now call the triumphal entry, 
Uh, in less than a week, uh, he would be arrested by the Jewish religious leaders. He'd be betrayed into the hands of the Gentiles, and he was going to be crucified on a Roman cross. And so Jesus is literally headed to his death at Calvary. And as he's moving, I think, very courageously in that direction, uh, even though he's clearly provided sufficient evidence, uh, he's still surrounded by people who haven't connected the dots to truly understand who he really is. I mean, the Jews were pretty much blind to who he was, even though he had tried to tell them and show them uh, on numerous occasions. And even the disciples weren't exactly clear who he was, even though he's he had uh, demonstrated his identity to them uh, time and time again. Well, Jesus' final pause uh, before arriving in Jerusalem happened to be the city of Jericho. It was a beautiful and, of course, historic uh, city. Uh, in Jesus' day, Jericho was positioned just south of the ruins of the old city of Jericho that had been destroyed when the walls came tumbling down uh, in the time of Joshua. And Jericho was located about 15 miles to the northeast of Jerusalem, which was actually built on a set of mountains uh, that was about 3,300 feet higher than Jericho. And so that meant when, when Jesus went up to Jerusalem, he really went up to Jerusalem. Now, the road to Jericho was one of the main routes to the temple. And on this particular day, that road was packed with Jews who were making their pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Passover, which led to then to the road being even more crowded with throngs of people lining the way in order to see Jesus as he passed through. Because even though they were still kind of blind to who he really truly was, they did know he was somebody special. And so they turned out in mass in order just to see him pass by. It kind of reminded me a number of years ago when I was pastoring in Iowa, and uh, there was a presidential election coming up, and it was in Marshalltown, Iowa, and uh, the George H.W. Bush was going to be there, and a special parade was going to go through town, and people were lining the streets, and I was so excited. I had never got that close to a, you know, a presidential candidate, and I remember when they were walking by, and of course, he's just walking down the street, but along either side of him are uh, uh, several uh, Secret Service agents holding ropes, you know, kind of keeping people away but that day something just hit me i said to myself you know what i really want to do i just want to run out in the street and give him a big hug <laughs> and then i'll probably be using that one call that i had from prison <laughs> to say to mom mom you should watch the news tonight because i think i'm going to be on tv <laughs> fortunately that didn't that didn't happen like that but in jericho that day uh, there was a blind man in the crowd who could apparently see Jesus for who he was. And as a result, actually his eyesight would be restored in what would become the last recorded healing of Jesus in Mark's gospel. And this is his story, whether you follow along on your notes on the screen or in your Bible or device. It's in Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. It says, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with this large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Well, many rebuked him 
They told him to be quiet, but he would shout all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stopped and he said, call him. And so they called the blind man. Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you and throwing his cloak aside. He jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. And the blind man said, Rabbi, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight. And I'm trying to imagine what that moment must have been like to go from complete darkness to all of a sudden he could see the people he was with and the sun and the sky and everything he'd been missing. And it says once he received his sight, then he followed Jesus along the road. Now, I don't know if you know this or not. I was not aware, but other than Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead, Bartimaeus is the only person Jesus physically healed whose name is actually recorded for us in the Scripture. So there must be something significant about this guy. We're going to see if we can unpack that now. And I want to offer to you today what I would call some encounter reflection questions. And so really they're going to be directed at each of us because I think we ought to reflect on... On, on what we just read, this encounter, incredible encounter with Jesus. And, and the first reflection question uh, I would ask with this, are you, are you in a place or space where you have an opportunity to interact with Jesus? Now, if you notice, that's exactly what Bartimaeus was doing. In verse 40, we read about the disciples, the crowd were leaving the city, and here is Bartimaeus in that place, sitting by the roadside begging. Now, I can't prove this at all, but I don't think that Bartimaeus just happened to be sitting, begging by the roadside that day in that spot by chance. I mean, I literally believe he strategically positioned himself in that spot on purpose because it would give him his best chance of having the opportunity to interact with Jesus. And I would hope you'd know that everything we do in this church, every activity, every gathering, every service we have, every study we offer, the reason we do it is because we want to provide the opportunity for you to be able to interact and encounter Jesus. And so let me just remind you this morning, simply being in attendance is never the goal. That's not the end game. It's being in a place that enhances your opportunity to interact with Jesus. And so, you know, I probably said this before, but folks, going to church does not make you a Christ follower any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. And if you don't like that one any more than going in a garage makes you a car. And honestly, you can meet Jesus in many settings, But it's much more likely to happen in places and spaces where it's easier to encounter Jesus. That's what we're trying to do. And and I think even blind Bartimaeus, he could actually see that. Because don't you think Bartimaeus had might have been hearing some news about Jesus? He might have heard how, how Jesus had healed some lepers. Or about the way Jesus had walked on water or had multiplied the loaves and fishes. He he might have even heard how Jesus had restored sight to other blind people. Uh, In in fact, in the gospel accounts, Jesus healed more blindness than any other specific physical ailment. 
And it might have been that hope was kind of building in Bartimaeus' heart, and he thought, man, if Jesus can do all the things I've heard about him doing, maybe, maybe he could heal me too. And so that day he cried out for healing. But he wasn't crying out to just anyone passing by hoping they would hear, which brings me to the second reflection question, and it would be this. Do, do you understand, do you really understand who Jesus really is? Because I want you to notice when we go back to the story, did you happen to notice how Bartimaeus actually kind of changed the narrative? Because he was asked who it was causing all the commotion that day, and then he was told, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And he was told that because, again, most people were still not connecting the dots concerning Jesus. You see, back then, no one expected the Messiah to come from Nazareth. It was a town with a sordid reputation. And we know that because when, when Philip, who became one of Jesus' apostles, when he found Nathanael and he told him, hey, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law, Jesus of Nazareth. Remember, Nathanael sarcastically remarked, Nazareth, can any good thing come from there? And so Bartimaeus says, tell me who it is. And when they do, that's when he said, okay, now that I know who you're talking about, let me actually tell you who he really is. And that's when he addresses Jesus this way. Son of David, have mercy on me. Do you hear that? He says, son of David. And several of the Old Testament prophets actually predicted that David or the son of David would reign on a throne forever. In fact, in one of those places is Jeremiah chapter 23, where it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the world. In his day, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. So this blind man who'd never seen Jesus is calling Jesus the son of David, the long-awaited Messiah of Israel, he actually recognized Jesus for who he was. And so far in Mark's gospel, no one else has been able to receive so much about Jesus from so little data. So I want to ask you today, who, who is Jesus to you? I mean, who do you really believe him to be? Because there's a lot of people today that think, well, he was a great man. Or they think, you know what, he, he was an insightful teacher. Or do you recognize Jesus as God's solution for our greatest need? See, hopefully, you, you'll recognize him as Peter eventually did. When one day Jesus was with his disciples, he said to him, he said, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, hey, you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Now, when Bartimaeus began calling out to Jesus, he quickly found himself surrounded by a bunch of angry voices. Hey, shut up, beggar. No one wants to hear your whining right now. And the attitude of the crowd was pretty negative toward Bartimaeus. They were yelling at him, demanding him to quit, but he was not going to quit. And so when the people tried to get him to stop even harder, he cried out even louder because this was his only hope. And he knew it. And he wasn't taking any chances. He needed Jesus to help him. And when Bartimaeus' loud cries finally reached Jesus' ears, Jesus stopped, said to call him, and Bartimaeus heard eight words that would change his life forever. Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. 
Which brings me to question number three. How serious are you about seeking Jesus? Really, how serious are you about seeking Jesus? See, I, I think Barnab- or Bartim- Bartimaeus was seriously all in because when, when he learned that Jesus was actually wanting to interact with him personally, literally, here's what he did in verse 50. It says, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. Now, if you're like me, then you may have taken note of the fact that he jumped to his feet. But he was, obviously wasn't going to waste any time. He was not going to miss the opportunity. But maybe what demonstrates his hopeful expectation even more was that simple act first of, of throwing his cloak aside. Because think about it, when you're blind, you don't ever let go of any of your significant possessions. You know why? Because you may never be able to find them again. And you could lose them permanently. And it's why I think we'd easily assume that Bartimaeus really did expect to regain his sight. Because he threw that cloak aside, and it could only be because, not only be because he didn't expect to be dependent on the handouts of strangers anymore, because he was going to be able to see. And that makes me then pause and have to think. What are the things that are in this world that, that I'm not really willing to let go of, that keep me from more fully enjoying the presence and the power of Jesus? I honestly wish I could be a lot more like the Apostle Paul. Remember what he said in Philippians chapter 3? He said, what is more, I I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I actually consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And I really want to be more like that because you know what? You know what I found? I, I found that I can easily spend two hours watching a movie but i'm not always that good at at spending just even 20 minutes talking to jesus which brings us to question number four do you know what you need what you need from jesus more than anything else now you know i think it's kind of hard for us to uh, because we we're, we're physically normal when it comes to our sight uh, to really realize the, the intense suffering uh, of blindness, of sightlessness, uh, what that would be like. I think we could maybe try to imagine it. But, you know, there are actually some people who would rate blindness as one of their greatest earthly fears. Uh, polls have been done, and people say of all the things that could happen to you on this earth, they consider blindness to be the worst. And so it's no wonder when... Bartimaeus came to Jesus and he said, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man just right away could say, Rabbi, I want to see. He knew what he needed Jesus for. And I'm wondering today if, if you and I would recognize that what, what you and I need from Jesus more than anything else is someone to save our souls. Because what we all need to remember is, while you have a body, you are a soul. While you have a body, you are a soul. And that's the reason why Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, he says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit or lose their soul? 
And if you and I were to be in the presence of Jesus, the, the one thing we would need to ask for more than anything else would be to say, Jesus, I need you to save me because I can't save myself. And we know that because in Acts chapter 4, it says salvation is found in no one else because there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And that brings us to the fifth question, the reflection question this, are, are, you, are you currently following Jesus? Now that sounds kind of silly because you're here today out of Sunday morning, but are you currently following Jesus? You do know that many, uh, many of the people that Jesus healed, that after they received their healing from Jesus, they, they just left him and then returned to their old life without ever becoming a follower of Christ. But Bartimaeus was different. We find out he actually became a follower. Because in verse 52, it says, immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus. He followed Jesus along the road. Now, remember where the road was leading, because the very next event recorded in Mark is the triumphal entry. And one of the commentators actually suggests that most certainly Bartimaeus was right there. He was part of that crowd. And I would say I would, I would concur. And so today, Bartimaeus, I think he invites us to the same journey of following Jesus on the way. Because whatever else might have been on Bartimaeus' agenda that day before, after that happened, following Jesus was the only thing that mattered now. And so let me ask you, are you willing to follow Jesus even when he heads in a different direction than you do? It's easy to follow Jesus when you're going where you think it should be going. And what's required in order to do that, to follow Jesus when he changes direction or a different direction from you, uh, is what the Bible calls repentance. And see, repentance is actually adjusting our lives towards following Christ instead of going our own way. And that's why in Acts chapter 17, verse 30, it says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he actually commands all people everywhere to repent. And while repentance is absolutely necessary to initially follow Jesus, I think it's also required for us to continue to follow Jesus. But I'll I'll let let KB kind of share how that works. I'm Katie Beth Redding. Everyone calls Katie Beth Redding. Everyone calls me KB. And my husband and family and I have been going to ACC for about three years now. I came to know Jesus at a very young age. I was baptized when I was 12 years old. And I went off to college uh, feeling like God had really impressed upon me that the path that he wanted me to be on was to be a medical missionary. And so I went into college um, being a Bible major and a biochemistry major. And then the summer right before my senior year, I got to go to five countries in Southern Africa and do a traveling medical mission. It was just an amazing experience. I saw unparalleled poverty and just basic missing of just basic resources. So having clean water and food, these people are just truly burdened by disease. And when I say that, These are people who are genuinely suffering, whose lives are hard. It really rocked me to my core to see the other half of the world and how they live and how hard it is for them. So I came back home from that experience and to be honest, I was not on fire for God. I was disillusioned and I came home angry and I came home resentful. And what I decided over these next few months as I kind of just got more and more lost is I just decided one of two things cannot possibly be true. Either God is not really in charge or he's not good. 
Because what I saw there in these countries in Africa that are just absolutely blown away by disease and poverty, it just couldn't, I couldn't rectify it in my mind that God was a good God and this was allowed to happen. And so for the next six to nine months, I grew weaker in my faith. I began to challenge more. You know, it was a lot of arrogance in just this quest of like, well, I'm going to figure it out. You know, I'm not going to be spoon-fed anything. I'm intelligent, and I'm going to figure this out, and I don't have to believe in God. And and it was really a truly a, a faith crisis that I had my senior year of college. <clears throat> I confided in my parents this spring semester, I did not believe in God. Of course, that is not the news parents want to hear. They immediately began fervently praying for me, which I am so thankful for. Um... This was a really dark time for me. So it kind of came to a crux when uh, my senior year I got invited to go on a trip with my roommate. I came from very humble means, very, very humble means. But my roommate was quite wealthy. She invited me for spring break to come and actually stay at their home in Hawaii. And um, while we were there, I slipped out early one morning. And I just was standing on this balcony looking at the ocean. And I kind of owned it. For the first time, I said, I don't know if you're out there, but I don't believe in you. And I kind of decided I didn't believe in God. And then I just kind of had this brief moment where I thought, but if you are real, I'd like to have a Gideon moment. I really relate to Gideon. I don't know about y'all, but I really relate to Gideon. And I said, I'm going to need a miracle. I'm going to need a fleece experience because I am, I am very much on a precipice where I'm about to take a big leap and I don't know that I'll come back. So I told God, if you are real... Even though I'm not supposed to put you to the test, I'm begging for a miracle. And then I even said, and I want it in the next 15 minutes. I'm not sure where this level of arrogance comes from, but that's what I said. Um, And about five minutes of silence went by, and then my roommate pops out onto the balcony and said, Hey, I saw that you were already out here. She said, I literally just feel like I got woken up suddenly, and I... I have a song that I need to sing to you. She goes, I know this is so weird, but I have these words in my mind and I'm supposed to sing them to you. And I just kind of looked at her and she started to sing and I'll spare you the, the, the melody. She started to sing, beloved, I have made the mountains and the valleys and the trees. I have made the sun, the sky and the seas. I made these so that you would know me. I made these so that you would know me. Open your eyes and know that I am God. She's saying that to me five minutes after I told God I needed a miracle. And we both cried, and it was like some scales fell off my eyes because for the first time, I knew God had taken a moment. He had taken, He's an almighty God, and He took a moment to come down to me and remind me of things I should have already known were true. But I got to smell and taste and feel the goodness and the faithfulness of our God. And from that moment on, that is forever a moment my life was changed. It was an Ebenezer. I, I have made a memory altar to remind myself that God is faithful and He is good. And my life ever since then is not the same. I'm a different person because I encountered God and He took the time to come to me and encounter me. Um, and it's by God's grace. I'm a medical missionary today. I get to take care of uh, kids every day and I get to spread God's word. So I am so thankful, and I hope that this has encouraged you because this is the story of of our good and faithful God and how He has blessed me. I've so appreciated just the transparency of the folks that have shared their story, and hard to believe people have gone through that. Uh, KB's testimony, as we've said before, the full length of it is available. Uh, Visit our website, uh, ACC, My ACC Online. 
click on that and you can see it or you can visit our, our YouTube channel. And I think, honestly, one of the greatest challenges sometimes to following God is to rectify the, the problem of pain and suffering uh, in the world. But you'll notice what God kind of did for KB, which brings us to question number six, is can you spiritually connect the dots? That's what we've got to be able to do is to connect the dots. And you're, you're, you're going to always need to continually be connecting the dots spiritually. And, and that's what KB was able to do as God said, hey, open your eyes and see. But folks, it, 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 was, it was not what the religious leaders of Jesus' day had been able to do. Uh, Jesus often confronted the Pharisees who really thought, they really thought they could see. They thought they knew everything. Uh, they thought they knew the way things worked. They even thought that they knew God. But what they were missing was sight. What's interesting, Jesus even calls them blind guides. And in Mark chapter 7, on one particular occasion, notice what he says to him. He says, are you guys so dull? Don't you see? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? They just were not connecting the dots. And so they thought they could see, but they couldn't. They couldn't see how in Jesus they were missing the heart of God's love. They were actually missing the, the picture of God right in front of their eyes in Jesus. They couldn't see. And so all those things that Jesus did were things that were promised that he would do. Like in Isaiah chapter 35, when it talked to the Messiah, it says, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. And all of those things happened when Jesus was there. And they're directly attributed in Scripture to the Messiah. So how could these men, these Pharisees, not see? I mean, they studied the Scripture, and they taught the Scripture. You'd have thought they would have figured it out. But they, they couldn't see it because they, they couldn't connect the dots. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes we don't either. And I think that's because, we've got to be honest, we don't see the world as it is. We see it as we are. And, you know, I know that to be true because you can have two people observing the very same event. And one of them will say, that looks amazing. And what will the other one say? That looks terrifying. Don't ever go there. And they're looking at the same thing. And that's because even though our eyes are our window to the world, it's really with our mind and our hearts that we see. And that's why I think when God tried to communicate with KB, he said, hey, I want you to see this. And I think that's why the Apostle Paul, in Ephesians chapter 1, when he was praying for fellow believers, here's what he prayed. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And so your application last week was to do one act of service this week uh, every day. And I hope you got to do that and bless some people. What I would like you to do this week is, is to pray this specific prayer each day. Lord, please open the eyes of my heart, because I want to see you. God, help me see you through your word correctly. Help me just to be able to see that I need you every day. I, I think that's what the, the psalmist actually prayed, because in Psalm 119, he said to God, God, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things 
from your law. And I hope what we could see today in this blind man is actually someone who almost had better vision than anyone else that was around him that day because <laughs> he could see who Jesus was. Let's pray. Father, how we see this world makes all the difference. And a lot of us have seen a lot of things with our eyes. I, things that maybe make it hard to sometimes even believe in you, like KB. But Father, I pray that you would, would, would give us eyes to be able to see you in the midst of all of that. And for those that are here today and they're kind of hurting and wondering where you're at, I, I would pray you'd show up in ways and show them in their heart and in their mind who you are. We don't want to miss. We don't want to miss uh, you all around us every day. So, God, let that be our prayer to you. Open the eyes of our heart because we, we do. We do. We want to see you. And so we pray uh, that prayer, Father, and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.